the weekly call with Jose Haro from the New York Stock Exchange. The stock market has secured its third consecutive weekly advance with the S&P 500 rising around eight-tenths of a percent. The first half of the week featured sideways action just below record highs from late January, but the market snapped out of that range on Thursday after comments from President Donald Trump reminded investors that tax reform remains a priority. Uh, Mr. Trump announced that something phenomenal on the tax front will be announced in the next uh, two or three weeks. The comments, uh, which uh, did not include specific details, were enough uh, to encourage investors who were starting to worry that a major campaign promise may go unaddressed. Market participants uh, received another heavy dose of uh, quarterly reports, but the earnings uh, had more influence on individual stocks uh, than the broader market itself. At the end of the week, uh, more than 71% of S&P 500 companies uh, had uh, reported their results, uh, generating blended earnings growth of 4.9%, according to Factset. This represented a modest uh, shortfall relative uh, to the estimate from the end of September, which called for growth of 5.2%. The past week was quiet on the economic front, leaving investors uh, with just a few second-tier reports uh, to digest. Uh, The preliminary uh, reading of uh, the Michigan Sentiment Index uh, for February declined to 95.7. Rate hike expectations barely botched on a week-over-week basis. Uh, The Fed funds uh, futures market ended the week uh, showing a 67.3 implied uh, probability of a rate hike coming in June. Uh, Speaking of the Fed, its top uh, bank regulator said on Friday he would resign, uh, giving a boost uh, to President Donald Trump's plans to ease reforms uh, put in place after the 2009 financial crisis. Uh, Daniel Tarullo, a strong regulator who was dovish on, on monetary policy in his seven years on the board, said in his resignation letter to Trump, he would leave the U.S. Central Bank on or around April 5th. Which, uh, with, uh, these, uh, re- with his resignation, actually, Trump uh, will have uh, three positions uh, to fill on the Fed's uh, Board of Governors, which at full strength has seven members. Uh, we ask uh, to Morgan Stanley's chief economist and chief uh, strategist uh, here in the U.S. about uh, this issue, and this is what they had to say. This is an unprecedented changeover at the Fed, leadership in the Fed. Um, The fact that Donald Trump has uh, two open seats currently, which his advisors have told him to fill as quickly as possible, the potential for a third seat this year if Governor Tarullo indeed steps down, um, if he takes it as a personal affront that a formal vice chair banking supervision has been named. Um, So that's a potential third seat this year. Janet Yellen in February 2018, um, which at this moment Trump has promised he will not renominate her. That is historically unprecedented. In times of economic prosperity, uh, an incoming president has always kept the sitting chair um, in place because you want a steady guiding hand, uh, sort of the, the, the idea of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and so, but he has been pretty clear he's not going to renominate her. So that is a change in, in leadership. And Stan Fisher, the vice chair, uh, in the summer, uh, I believe June of 2018. So, so potentially five spots. So he can change the entire face of the Fed. Now, one can presume, and I think Adam said this at the beginning, that it's very easy to presume that he will put conservatives in those seats. <coughs> when I think about the path of rates though, and whether it's political or not, um, 
I think it's all about the business cycle. About the data. And the yeah. business cycle dictates the path of rates. Yeah. I am not convinced that someone that comes into the seat as new Fed chair in February 2018 is just going to uh, turn face and just ratchet rates higher simply because that's what they believe, right? They'll take a look at the data, they'll take a look at economic and financial conditions and make a decision, and we're already going to be further along a tightening path by the time that happens. To me, the big difference in change in Fed leadership will be around the balance sheet because it, it, it is um, uh, subject to ideology. And there are various um, uh, possibilities for those positions on the board. All the list of names we've looked through that are possibilities. Um, and many of them have very different ideologies on what the appropriate size of the balance sheet is. So right now, the Fed has a very explicit plan of attack, their exit strategy, listed right on the first page of their website that says, when we exit this large balance sheet, here's the order of operations. Sometime after they raise the federal funds rate, they will cease or taper their reinvestments of <clears throat> MBS and, and treasuries. Um, they will not sell MBS. Um, and then eventually, over time, right, the, the passive reduction of the balance sheet will reduce its size, especially as a share of the economy. Someone could come into that seat and say, no, uh, in fact, I want to sell uh, uh, securities off the balance sheet and get it back to a pre-financial crisis level as quickly as possible, which would be a complete opposite view of the current, current Fed thinking. Um, and so that's where the biggest unknown is, will be the changeover in Fed leadership. What we're watching for this year is, as he makes the, the appointments to those empty seats, we will vet each one of them as though they could be the next chair. And understand that, you know, as a president, you have to pull from the board um, for the next Fed chair. Now that means if there's an empty spot, you can appoint them to the board and at the same time make them chair. But a, a prudent approach would be to assume any one of those new people appointed could be the next chair. And you want to know right away, have they ever been quoted talking about the Fed's balance sheet? Uh, have they had monetary policy experience? What are, what are some of their, can we dig up any quotes? Um, you know, who knows them? What have they said? You know, and try to gauge that stance. I think that's where investors will be focused on what it means to the balance sheet, not the path of rates. And then you saw, as you got to the end of the second QE, there was diminishing kind of efficacy to the Fed balance sheet expansion. And I'd say now you're at the point where I don't really think your average person knows, investor knows or cares how big the Fed balance sheet is. They might care if, it, if you get a balance sheet zero person in charge of the Fed and they start, but I think right now people say, hey, look, if it's four trillion or five trillion, like what do I care, right? So I'm just saying trading mentality wise, you're, you're not really thinking about it. Because again, in the last five years, it was totally unhelpful to think about the size of the Fed balance sheet and get all bared up about uh, about the size of it, right? So my view is uh, inflation is a lot better problem than deflation. And I have a lot of conviction that if we get a lot of inflation, they'll be able to control it much more easily. So um, I say bring on the inflation. Yeah, but I think, to, just, to, yeah. just to add on to that quickly, um, I think what we have to be mindful of when we think about inflation in the U.S. and inflation getting away from us um, is first, what does the dollar do? Right. Um, because right. the trade weighted dollar, as that rises, it depresses inflation in the U.S. So if there are trade policies that put upward pressure on the dollar, if upward pressure continues on the dollar simply because the Fed is raising, continues to raise rates and fiscal stimulus is hitting the economy and we're looking that much better than our, than our counterparts in the global economy, 
that's all upper pressure on the dollar, and that is expressed in lower or uh, it, uh, uh, depressing effect on on inflation. So think of it as a, a constant counterbalance to running a higher pressure domestic economy. Um, because you've got an already tight labor market and you're pushing the unemployment rate even lower, raises uh, wages rising even more, so you get more domestic uh, upward pressure from the domestic economy on inflation, but you've got this constant counterweight of the dollar on the other side of it. So we expect higher inflation, core inflation to rise, but it's very difficult to get runaway inflation in that scenario. And as you know, in the U.S., we just focus on core inflation here uh, to get away from energy effects. Inflation data and Yellen will be the key economic events uh, next week. Uh, we will get releases on uh, prices for the United States, UK and China. Uh, forecasts are at uh, 2.4, 1.9 and 2.4% respectively, according to Reuters uh, polls. Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen is due to testify to Congress next week uh, for the first time since uh, Donald Trump moved into the White House. She doesn't appear ready to signal uh, a major step up in the Fed's glacial pace of rate rises yet either. Uh, two main references uh, that are for sure will will shake the markets in any direction. And as usual, we will keep you posted on, posted on them here at Weekly Call with Jose De Haro. Remember, you can listen uh, to us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and at Weekly Call with Jose Thanks uh, for listening to us and have an amazing week. <laughs>